Chapter Fourteen of Garibaldi and the Making of Italy by George Macaulay Trevelyan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Meeting of Garibaldi and Victor Emmanuel. To watch the new kingdom of Italy rising as it were by magic is a marvelous sight. When time has veiled the events of the period and wiped away all that is perfidious and adventurous, Cavour, Victor Emmanuel, and Garibaldi will stand forth as heroes of this epoch. While I am writing of the struggles and sufferings of Rome in the Middle Ages, the observation of the present, which is realizing the work of which centuries have despaired, is an experience of inestimable value to the historian. Gregorvius Diary, Rome, November 1860 The Battle of the Volturno saved Naples from the Bourbons, but it did not deliver Capua to Garibaldi. It redressed the balance of war which had begun to incline against him, but it did not weigh down the scales on his side. A condition of military stalemate continued for more than three weeks of October, until Victor Emmanuel's army arrived upon the scene. During this period of waiting, the only military event of interest was the expedition to Isernia. The town, like most others in the Molise and in the neighboring province of Abruzzi, had been seized by the citizens in the name of Garibaldi and Victor Emmanuel. But on the day before the Battle of the Volturno, it was invaded by peasants from the hills, authorized to act for the good cause by their bishop and by the authorities at Gaeta, and led on by royal gendarmes. During the following week, pillage, massacre, torture, and mutilation were the lot of the inhabitants of Isernia and of other centers of nationalism in the neighborhood. This system of reaction, or brigandage, accompanied by all the bestial cruelty of which the half-savage peasants of the south were still capable, afforded a last weapon for the expiring system of church and state. Francis II, when finally driven from Gaeta by Victor Emmanuel's army, took refuge in Rome in 1861, and thence, under the protection of the Pope, continued to foster this kind of brigandage in his lost dominions in the Abruzzi for nearly seven years to come. No such horrors were committed on the other side by the Garibaldian peasantry of Calabria, Basilicata, Abruzzi, or any other province of the mainland, and the difference may fairly be attributed to the higher ethical standard of the local nationalist leaders. Men like Stoko and Pace, touched by the idealism of the Risorgimento movement, as compared with the reactionary clergy and the Bourbon officials, who had been brought up in an evil school on frankly medieval ideas of religion and government. Early in October, nationalist refugees from the neighborhood of Assyria arrived at Caserta, told the tale of horror to Garibaldi, and assured him that if he would send some of his officers into the Molise, they would there find three thousand peasants ready to place themselves under their orders and suppress the reaction. The dictator accordingly sent Nulo, Mario, and Sazio, in command of a few hundred Sicilians and irregulars from the Alefe district, and a few dozen North Italians. When they arrived in the Molise, there was no sign of the 3,000 friendly natives who were to have joined them. The reactionary peasants, backed by several battalions of Bourbon regulars, 
fell upon them near Isernia on October 17th, and drove them out of the Molise with heavy loss. In the Abruzzi the liberals held their own, but eagerly awaited the crossing of the Toronto by Victor Emmanuel. On October 15th, the British Legion, otherwise called the Garibaldi Excursionists, landed in Naples, over 600 strong. They looked a fine body of men as they marched up the Toledo in their red tunics with green facings, the muzzles of their infield rifles stuffed with flowers by the admiring populace. Four days later, they gave a good account of themselves in a skirmish in front of Sant'Angelo, conducted up to the walls of Capua, where they lost two killed and eight wounded. But the warning that Dune had uttered when Garibaldi consulted him at Milazzo as to the advisability of allowing such a region to be recruited was unfortunately borne out by events. One part of the excursionists consisted of roughs principally from Glasgow and London, who considered that they were out for a holiday at other people's expense, and though they did not object to the fighting, expected a maximum of food and good quarters, and a minimum of discipline. The other half, old soldiers, volunteers, and generous enthusiasts of all classes from a duke's son downwards, could not, by their own better conduct, saved the legion from acquiring a name for disorder similar to that which the pope's irish had acquired in rome you see said the italians indulgently these men are not accustomed to a country where wine is cheap paird whom the dictator set over them as colonel was not so well qualified for this difficult command as for the individual knight errantry which had made him a well-beloved figure in the garibaldian field armies for eighteen months past if the campaign had been prolonged and carried to the walls of rome as the committee in london had expected when it raised the legionnaires there is little doubt they would have done us credit as things were although the legion came too late the fame of our country had been upheld throughout the campaign and yeoman service rendered to the italian cause by the english free lances by dune and windham by paird and dowling and by others who have survived them garibaldi estimated accurately the limits of the degree to which he had improved his position by the recent victory on the volturno one day soon after the battle he came to mario with a letter from mazzini in his hand read this he said Mazzini urges me on to attack Rome. You know that I have long been thinking of it. On the 1st of October we defeated the enemy so that they cannot meet us again in the open field. But I cannot advance on Rome, leaving behind me 60,000 men entrenched in Capua and Gaeta, who can march into Naples the moment my back is turned. He fully accepted the political consequences of the military situation, he abandoned all idea of advancing on Rome, and prepared to welcome the immediate advent of Victor Emmanuel. Cavour, gravely anxious that Italy should present a united front to the monarchs of Austria, Prussia, and Russia, who were about to hold an ominous conference at Warsaw, desired above all else that the dictator should go out to welcome the king in the face of Italy and Europe, and was much concerned lest he should sail home to Caprera in dudgeon before Victor Manuel's arrival. This, rather than any fears of actual civil war, 
appears to have been the limit of cavour's anxiety with regard to garibaldi from the first days of october onwards the minister wisely sought counsel with garibaldi's oldest and best friend augusto vecchi who had worn the red shirt beside his chief in south america who had fought shoulder to shoulder with him in the midnight melee when the french troops burst through the defences of the janiculum and from whose house at quarto garibaldi had sailed with the thousand for sicily on october first vecchi wrote to garibaldi to implore him to hasten the plebiscite for the annexation of naples and to send a message inviting victor emmanuel to march without delay into his new dominions three days later vecchi wrote again invite the king personally by a telegram to come quickly to naples and to go meet him i ask this of you in the name of italy our mother for whose greatness we too swore many years ago to make every kind of sacrifice on the very day when vecchi was writing in this strain garibaldi had already yielded the point and was inditing his famous letter to victor emmanuel which besides many expressions of goodwill and desire for unity contained the following words sire i congratulate your majesty on the brilliant victories won by your brave general cialdini and on their happy results since your majesty is at ancona you must make a journey to naples by land or by sea if by land as would be best your majesty ought to march with at least one division if i were informed in time i would move forward my right wing to meet you and would come in person to present my homage and to receive your orders as to the final operations cavour therefore as early as october fourth had gained his point that garibaldi should invite the king and go out to meet him but for another ten days there was trouble on the further question of the plebiscite a controversy which became the storm centre of the last political crisis of the dictatorship the question at issue was the proper method of obtaining the consent of the inhabitants of the neapolitan kingdom to their absorption of the monarchy of victor emmanuel should they be consulted directly by plebiscite by a simple referendum on the question of annexation to which each elector would answer by his vote yes or no or should they place their fate in the hands of an assembly of elected representatives who might then propose conditions on which the south would come into the national union such were the two alternatives and the choice between them was a question of more than mere form if italy had no armed enemies to fear either within or without the barrier of her guardian alps if she had been in safe possession of her own house then indeed she ought to have gone about the difficult business of setting it in order with long and careful deliberation if the union of the north and south italy like the union of north and south britain in seventeen o seven had been proposed in a year when the two kingdoms were immune from invasion and revolution then indeed a parliament at naples and a parliament at palermo might reasonably have sat for many months bargaining with the parliament at turin in such a case some of the evils that have actually resulted from a too close union might possibly have been avoided those who know south italy of to-day 
deplore the rigid and mechanical application of the piedmontese laws and administrative system to a state of society very different from that of the subalpine populations and they deplore no less than the immense powers of self-government under which the constitution of eighteen sixty have been committed to the backward communes of the south but this was the necessary price that italy paid for her existence in the crisis of that autumn with war and revolution still in the bowels of the land with an austrian army eagerly awaiting the word to cross the mincio and rush on milan with the french minister already withdrawn from turin and every great european power except england hostile to the unification of italy it would have been the height of unwisdom to waste two months in electing and calling together neapolitan and sicilian assemblies and a half a year more in bargainings and intrigues of every kind public and personal into which southern parliamentarians would instinctively plunge and revel if they found that they had their country in their gift and cavour on his knees to them to hand it over if italian unity were to be accomplished at all and all were agreed that there was no other port of safety in sight then it must be done at once by direct acceptance of piedmontese laws and custom for the whole peninsula not because that was best for all but because that alone could be established everywhere without delay a plebiscite for unconditional annexation could be held in a fortnight but an assembly might sit until it was dispersed by austrian bayonets the men who in the second week of october besieged garibaldi with petitions for an assembly instead of the plebiscite were not with the exception of the federalist Cantenio, primarily interested in obtaining a separate system of administration for the south their opposition to the plebiscite was essentially factious crispy and his friends desired an assembly where they might hope to dominate and they objected to a plebiscite because it would in a fortnight's time bring an end to the garibaldian dictatorship which so long as it lasted left the executive power in their hands and kept out the hated cavour they played on the dictator's distrust of the minister they cunningly reminded him that the plebiscite had been the device by which napoleon the third had filched nice and savoy there had arisen one of those complicated situations through which garibaldi was least able to see his way in the light of the new simple rules by which he guided his conduct his mind was darkened and he sat stupefied at the head of the council board while the rival parties of plebiscite and assembly defied each other shrilly across the room between october eleventh and thirteenth a series of such councils were held at caserta and in naples old giorgio pallavicino the martyr of the spielberg the austrian dungeon where he had sat for fourteen years in the early days of the risorgimento movement was now garibaldi's pro-dictator of the neapolitan mainland he it was who stood in the breach against crispi and catania on behalf of the immediate italian unity on october eleventh at caserta garibaldi decided for crispi and an assembly pallavicino at once gave his resignation 
and the city of naples rose in a great demonstration of protest in his favor on all doors windows carriages coats and hats appeared cards inscribed c or yes the vote that all desired to be allowed to give in plebiscite garibaldi returned to the capital to find the streets in an uproar he heard pallavicino's name coupled with his own for vivas and while morte was cried out against mazzini crispi and the others who had persuaded him to summon an assembly all along the toledo it snowed seas into the carriage garibaldi was much perturbed by this clear manifestation of the popular will for obedience to the people was one of the formulae of his creed in accordance with which he had long ago abandoned his republicanism in order to be in touch with his fellow-citizens on the thirteenth another council was held in his rooms at the palazzo d'angri pallavicino refused to take back his resignation unless the plan for an assembly were cancelled in the middle of an angry dispute between the pro-dictator and crispi tour produced a petition signed by thousands of hands in favor of the plebiscite garibaldi bowed his head over it in melancholy silence and for some minutes his face was hidden when he looked up the clouds had cleared away and he wore the serene gaiety of his happiest and gentlest mood if this is the desire of the neapolitan people he said it must be satisfied General giorgio he said to pallavicino we need you here still the same evening crispi resigned the secretariat and his part in the history of italy came to an end for that year the plebiscite was held on october twenty first the electorate had no choice but to vote yes or no to the following proposition the people wishes for italy one and indivisible with victor emmanuel as constitutional king and his legitimate descendants after him the result was shortly afterwards declared as follows neapolitan mainland one million three hundred and two thousand and sixty four yes ten thousand three hundred and twelve no sicily four hundred and thirty two thousand and fifty three yes six hundred and sixty seven no the voting was open and every one who voted no did so in the face of a disapproving world no doubt therefore the real minority was a very much larger proportion of the citizens but if the plebiscite exaggerated it did not belie the opinion of the people whether the majority of the inhabitants of south italy wished for italian unity on its own merits it's fairly open to question but they had shown in more ways than one their earnest desire for immediate and unconditional annexation as the only security against the return of the house of bourbon and the dreadful past from which garibaldi had delivered them meanwhile victor manuel was coming to take possession of his new dominions on the afternoon of september twenty ninth he left turin on his triumphal progress that was yet a most perilous adventure hoping that when he wanted to return he would not find his northern capital occupied by austrians or by french passing through bologna to the Ravennese coast he embarked on october third for ancona a storm arose the frigate was in great danger and the seamen declared that the safest course 
was to run across the adriatic towards pola in austrian territory but victor emmanuel refusing to be put into the hands of his enemies at such a crisis of italian affairs came on deck to encourage the sailors and remained there throughout the storm while his staff officers were prostrated below towards evening the sea went down and before midnight they entered the harbour of ancona where the king was welcomed ashore by fanti cialdini della rocca and their victorious troops some delay occurred in starting from ancona but on october ninth the great march began the whole army moving with the king in the midst along the road to naples he passed near the battlefield of castelfidaro through macareta and loreto and thence along the adriatic coast he reached grotto mari the last town in papal territory on october eleventh and remained there four days inactive probably from some cautionary reasons of diplomacy or politics these were the days during which the political crisis on the question of the plebiscite was taking place in naples only on october fifteenth after pallavicino had triumphed over crispi did the king cross the toronto and enter the neapolitan kingdom after following the coast road as far as the fortress of pescara which had already come into the national cause they turned inland by way of chiete and popoli to solmona thus far in papal and neapolitan territory alike the enthusiasm of the liberated people for their new king had been abundantly shown all classes including very many of the clergy joined in the demonstrations and triumphal arches and addresses of welcome impeded the rate of military progress it was felt that no offence must be given to the king's new subjects and he showed as much rough graciousness as his impatient nature contained other causes of delay were the neglected state of the high road and the absence of bridges over the innumerable dry torrent beds through which the siege guns and commissariat wagons had to pass for this was not a garibaldian army it moved slowly but it was bringing with it the means to take capua and gaeta after they had passed solmona the political sympathies of the inhabitants were less unanimous there was still an enthusiastic italian party to welcome them but at every turn of the road they saw fresh evidence of civil war and massacre the good italians came in with stories usually only too true of massacre and mutilation which their relations and friends had suffered rough justice was administered on the roadside by piedmontese court-martials assisted by firing parties and a proclamation was issued that all peasants found with arms in their hands would be shot even in this district some of the parish priests showed themselves on the national side cialdini with the vanguard was now two days march in front of the king on october twentieth near Isernia, where a handful of garibaldini had been repulsed only three days before he fell in with five thousand bourbon troops under general scotty scotty neglected to send out scouts or advanced guard and marched his men in a column right up to cialdini's hidden batteries the bersaglieri and line regiments were let loose upon the enemy's surprised and disordered mass and the lancers of novara charged through the whole length of their column 
in a few minutes scotty with nearly a thousand of his men had been captured and the rest dispersed over the countryside in hopeless disbandment on october twenty fifth garibaldi crossed the volturno by a crazy bridge of planks a yard wide supported on boats which had been flung across at the ferry of formicola the italians had failed to make any bridge at all with the scant materials to hand but the task had been accomplished by the british legion with the expert assistance of some handymen who appeared to be their fellow-countrymen and showed a suspicious readiness for any service connected with ropes and water the making of the bridge had been conducted under fire but the bourbon troops who had already abandoned cajazzo withdrew towards capua and did not attempt to dispute the passage of the river after the bridge had been completed leaving medici to protect the lines at sant'angelo garibaldi with a few regiments of italians and the british legion advanced northwards through bologna and calvi to meet victor manuel they bivouacked on the night of october twenty fifth to the twenty sixth in the broad valley between the hills of caginello and vigirano where the high road then as the railway now debouches from the gates of the wooded mountains into flatter country that soon broadens out into the great plains of capua most of the troops slept by the roadside below but some were stationed on the heights of vigrano whence their watchfires could be seen afar by three armies for below them lay the camp of their fellow garibaldini close at hand to the south were the bourbon regiments and a few miles to the north lay victor emmanuel's army the corps of della rocca and of cialdini side by side on two converging roads with the king's quarters between them on the morning of october twenty sixth an englishman among the garibaldian outposts who was sleeping in a dry ditch was awakened by shouts of viva il re accustomed to hear long live the king as the bourbon war-cry he sprang up half awake thinking the enemy were upon them next moment he saw his mistake victor emmanuel king of italy was riding by about the same hour the garibaldini on the hills of vedrano awoke to see the whole italian army in all the panoply of war move swiftly along the valley below towards the camp of the red shirts on the edge of the great plain garibaldi had overnight sent on missouri and zazio to the royal camp to announce his presence and offer his homage at dawn he himself rode out with his staff to find the king and stationed himself in front of the tolbar tavern a rustic cottage with a few poplars near it at the point of junction of the two roads along which the royal army was coming the dictator and his staff including canzio and mario with missouri and zazio who now rejoined them dismounted in front of the tavern and took their stand a little off the road along which the northern regiments filed past battalion after battalion went by gazing on garibaldi some with unmingled enthusiasm gratitude and love others with a greater or less mixture of professional jealousy and political distrust generals della rocca and cialdini both greeted him warmly that morning and were warmly welcomed in return for neither of them was touched with that jealousy of the volunteers which embittered fanti and many others among the regular officers 
the victor of castelfiardo and the liberator of sicily and naples were divided by no cloud of petty rivalry and if cialdini instead of fonti had been commander-in-chief of the italian army cavour's instructions to show gratitude to the garibaldini would have been heartily obeyed much might have been forgotten and forgiven on both sides in the enthusiasm of the meeting and the serbonian bog of mutual reprisals and recrimination might have been shunned so the early morning wore on while regiment after regiment of the royal army marched past the liberator it was a damp autumn air and garibaldi was not only wearing his poncho but had in homely fashion bound a coloured handkerchief over his head his staff in their war-stained red shirts presented a curious contrast to the brilliant uniforms that were filing by them hour by hour suddenly the strains of the royal march were heard and the cry arose the king the king is coming garibaldi and his staff mounted their horses and rode forward to the edge of the road victor emmanuel on a prancing arab dashed up to meet them the dictator sweeping his hat off his kerchiefed head cried aloud saluto il primo re d'italia i hail the first king of italy the king stretched out his hand and the two men clasped their held hands for more than a minute come state caro garibaldi bene maestro e lei benone then they rode on together and the two staffs behind them red shirts side by side with resplendent uniforms crosses and cordons of honour it was an epitome of the union of conservative and revolutionary forces that had crushed the obscuritanists and expelled the foreigners the constrained conversation between the two groups betrayed the heart-burnings on either side and the grudging sacrifices that each was making to the other but although there was a cold politeness where there should have been enthusiasm none the less that ride together was the making of italy and seen down history's lengthening vista remains evermore a goodly sight after a while garibaldi and his men turned off the road to the left and made their way back by country lanes to calvi while the king held on to tiano garibaldi's countenance writes mario was full of melancholy sweetness never did i feel drawn to him with such tenderness he said little that evening to his friends next morning they met jesse mario who had crossed the volturno to provide hospital arrangements north of the river my wounded said garibaldi to her somewhat sternly are all on the south of the volturno and then relapsing into his gentlest mood he added jesse they have sent us to the rear during their ride together victor emmanuel had told him in soft words the hard decree that the royal army would take over all the operations of war and that the garibaldini were no longer required End of chapter fourteen